Welcome to the NICU Dad Podcast, a podcast for NICU dads by NICU dads. I'm Alex Zavala, a father to two preemie girls, Mia, who was born at 30 weeks, and Emerson, who was born at 27 weeks. Combined, my wife Jen and I both spent over 100 days in the NICU. After my last NICU experience, I started the NICU Dad. I did this to try and fill the gap of information and support that was lacking for NICU dads. Be sure and check out thenicudad.com and hopefully you will find it a useful resource. In this podcast, we will cover many topics that NICU parents face, but from the NICU dad's perspective. Topics such as premature birth, bereavement, PTSD, and many others. These dads who you'll hear share their stories in hope of letting other NICU dads know they are not alone. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Eric Velez. Eric and his wife, Monica, were pregnant with twin boys when they suddenly had to have an emergency delivery after doctors could only find one heartbeat. Tragically, they would lose one of the boys and still had to endure a NICU stay with the surviving twin. This is their story. Today, our guest is Eric Velez, and uh, Eric is a fellow NICU dad who's going to share his experience with us. And uh, Eric, thanks for coming here today, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And sharing your story with us, uh, I think it's uh, one that's very, very important. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. Uh, Our story starts on uh, basically Father's Day of 2015. Uh, That was the day that we found out that we were actually pregnant. Uh, My wife took a pregnancy test, and, you know, uh, we saw those double lines, and that's where this story begins. Um, We couldn't get into the doctor for about another month or so after so we still, you know, had it, you know, we're, you know, secretly surprised and we took a trip that we had planned still and we're just still, you know, playing it cautious. So fast forward to that doctor's appointment with uh, my wife, Monica's uh, OBGYN, actually found out that we were expecting twins. And so that was even more of a surprise because actually on our second date, um, before getting married and all that, our second date, I jokingly asked my wife, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, hey, I've always wanted twins, and can you make that happen? And it's, it was always a joke, and so now it was actually reality that, hey, we did make this happen, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be having some twins. Uh, we just didn't know, you know, gender yet, it's still pretty early on. And so again, fast forward probably another month or so, um, we found out the at least one gender with the genetic testing and then another month or two later we finally found out that both uh both kids were going to be boys and so i was super ecstatic we were you know tracking and trending well um doctor's appointments specialist appointments um you know going to all those and seeing those boys grow and getting you know our our families involved and having the gender reveals for both uh, grandmas to find out. So everything was going great, you know, nothing, nothing major, uh, you know, no, no major issues, uh, until about, uh, 33 weeks and about five days in. So now we fast forward to January 4th of 2016. Uh, we, um, you know, a piece of furniture that we ordered for, for Christmas finally came in. It was delayed. So anyway, it finally came in and so Monica and I went to go pick it up, and um, 
you know, the furniture place helped me load it onto my dad's truck and so on and so forth. I brought it back home. I had a, one of my neighbors help me unload it uh, for the, you know, it's a kitchen buffet. And so anyway, um, when I went to go return my dad's truck back, I got a text from my wife and just saying that, you know, she was experiencing some pain that she needs to, you know, have me come home sooner than later. And so that set off my internal alarms. And so I'm rushing back home to see what's going on. And she's just bending over in pain. And so I didn't know what to do. You know, we were still pretty early on again, 33 weeks, five days. And so we weren't scheduled for another, you know, month, month plus to deliver these boys. And so she just wanted to take a bath and uh, maybe help, maybe calm her down a little bit. And, and so I said, yeah, so I helped her in the tub and she kind of bathed, you know, kind of just sat in some warm water and now it just, that pain got worse. And so I finally, I told her, I was like, let me just call the on-call, you know, doctor. And the on-call doctor said, you know what, go ahead and come on in. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and meet you there and we'll just take a look and see what's going on. Uh, she didn't sound alarmed by any means, but we were still, you know, internally alarmed just because Monica technically was measuring at like 41 plus weeks. Uh, we went ahead and went on in. And by then, uh, Monica was in excruciating pain. She, it was hard for her to even get into the car, the ride to the hospital. Uh, we went down to Seton, Maine, uh, where we were already registered in. We were planned, you know, forms filled out. Everything was ready to go. We were attending classes the whole nine. Uh, but anyway, now this was, you know, emergency style where we didn't even have bags packed because we were still, again, five, six, seven weeks out before we were even going to deliver. And so we didn't know what was going on other than Monica was in a ton of pain. And so they rushed her up to the second floor. By then I had a, I went to go park the car. By the time I went in, they already had her, you know, in a room, several nurses. It was just chaos. And so they, uh, I, I remember um, having two of those monitors. They're, they're strapping to her belly to, you know, find those heartbeats. And I remember um, those heartbeats were in sync, and which I thought was kind of cool. But in actuality, it was only one heartbeat that that they were that they found. The other heartbeat they they just couldn't find. And I was even trying to tell the nurse, well, I remember, you know, one of our sons. He typically lays over here on mm -hmm. this side of the of you know Monica's stomach and can you try to, you know, move the monitor this way? And so she tried and nothing, and she kept trying, kept trying, nothing. So we basically ordered an ultrasound just to verify, you know, what's going on. And so the on-call doctor was still not there, but the hospitalist that was there, you know, got the ultrasound, and she did a quick ultrasound, and she said, no, I'm sorry, you know, there's only one heartbeat. The other heartbeats, you know, your other son has passed. And I, at that point, it was pure denial. It's like, no way, we're waiting for the you know, our own call doctor, yeah. she surely, like, she can find it, you know, um, at that point, I was, you know, Monica was in tears, and I'm in denial, frustrated, um, and so, sure enough, the on call doctor shows up, confirms that there's no heartbeat uh, for, for our son, and so, at that point, where do we go from here? Uh, so, that's where decisions were need to be made as far as we're still pretty uh, you know, those those boys are our surviving son and now is still pretty young. Do we admit Monica and let her stay in the hospital for time for our son to mature a little bit more? Or do they go ahead and deliver? Oh, man. Well, during that time, they're, they're talking to 
the specialists on call as well and they're leaning on admitting her but while all this is happening our surviving son's heartbeat starts dropping and so it got to the point where it's like you know what this is going to be an emergency basically urgency section we're taking both boys out now and so we're like holy crap you know what we went from pregnancy perfect pregnancy going to all these first-time parent classes preparing 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 the room was already you know cribs were up walls painted the whole nine to now we're in an emergency situation where we're losing we lost a son our other son may not survive monica's you know may not survive we don't know what's going on and so they hurry her over to you know surgery and they basically told me you need to gown up real quick and Mm -hmm. and get inside and so i remember sitting and waiting for them to come get me like every other dad right but instead of sitting there with joy waiting to see both of my sons i'm at i'm at a crossroads like should i be grieving and and crying and and you know or and also happy but or should i feel bad that i'm also happy too like and so that's something that i've even now fast forward three and a half years later like what I deal with every day, you know, um, you know, seeing my son now, am I happy and proud of him and all these, you know, achievements that he's, you know, milestones, of course. Um, so anyway, just sitting there in that chair is kind of a defining moment for me where, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do? So anyway, um, fast forward to the, you know, going into that surgery room I see Monica already uh, you know they already gave her put her they didn't put her under but they you know numbed her up and and delivered first baby boy and that was Elias our surviving son uh, born at basically 33 6 because now it was 1 in the morning um, weighing 4 pounds 12 ounces and then uh, delivered and he wasn't in great shape at all if anybody knows Apgar scores he was rated a one at first, mm. and so he wasn't going to survive. I mean, his his heartbeat was was dropping. He wasn't really responsive, and they took him right away. Like we couldn't even hold him. Uh, they they wanted to monitor him and yeah. you know hook him up to some oxygen and all kinds of stuff. And so then here comes our other son, Andres, that uh, you know didn't make it. Uh, also obviously at thirty three six, but uh, weighing four pounds two ounces, and um, you know. I remember seeing him that in the that little weigh scale, seeing him just lifeless, you know. And uh, again, kind of, what do you what do you do? Yeah. You know, what do you? I got another. I got a son that's maybe gonna make it, maybe not. And then I have a lifeless son, you know, s- sitting there on the um, on that weigh scale. It was just a uh, it was just a moment that I'll never forget. So uh, a few minutes passed by, and uh, Elias is actually doing better now. They gave him an Apgar score of 7. So it's not a 10, but 7 at least is, is okay. They were able to allow us to hold both of our sons together for the first and last time, basically, because they needed to rush Elias up to the NICU. And that's why I'm here today. So we got to hold them. We got to you know, take pictures as a family. Um, 
but they they had to grab Elias back and take him up to the NICU so that they could care for him a little bit more because he was still in critical condition. So I, I stayed back with Monica to make sure she was okay. and They assured me that Elias was going to be, you know, well taken care of in the NICU. And so I know some parents have said, you know, always follow the child no matter what. And but I was like, I have my wife that's shivering on the surgery bed or whatever you want to call it and a son that has passed and I'm holding on to him and just um, you know again decision time like what what do I yeah. do what am I supposed to do and uh, so we spent some time made sure Monica was in good shape and so then at that point I asked the nurse to you know take me up to the NICU because I didn't know I knew my um, my nephew was a, a NICU baby uh, but I I wasn't here to experience that I was yeah. I was in Florida, chasing my career, and so I, I didn't see that birth. I saw my my niece. I was able to experience that, and she was fine. It's just that Nikki you always hear is kind of like a four letter bad word. Sometimes yeah. people kind of get you know stressed out about it, or you know uh, raises the hair on your back. You know, just kind of like kind of ooh, you know, what are you what are you expecting? You know, when you go in there, and so. I had the nurse walk me up there uh, to go see Elias, and uh, they gave me the lowdown of, hey, it's flu season, and make sure you're washing your hands, and so they showed me, you know, all those steps, and, uh, you know, they lead me over to his area, and he was in the Bay 6 area of Seton, Maine, uh, upstairs on that, what, ninth floor, 8th floor, mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah, ninth floor, 8th mm-hmm. floor, and so uh, I go over there, and I see him, and he's face down with tubes, you know, a basically CPAP machine for yeah. babies, wires everywhere. Uh, he's alive, just, and I see on the monitor that he's alive, but he's just, he's in bad shape. And so, uh, you know, the nurse, you know, talks to me for a minute. I don't remember what she says because yeah. at that point I'm just focused on my son. And I reach down to him and I put my pinky finger basically on one of his hands I can't remember which one and he immediately grabs it and man that was like that was the the moment that I knew I was like that's my son no matter what it's gonna happen from now until the day I die that's my son you know and so um, just for that brief moment I had that bit of joy Throughout that time, he was in the NICU for about 17 days. There were some milestones and um, and some setbacks and back and forth, but ultimately, uh, you know, we were there. Monica was able to be there every day for them. Uh, side note, Ronald McDonald uh, was able to put us up because after so many days, they yeah. basically kicked you out of the hospital. Yeah. Uh, Ronald McDonald came through and learned about our story and, and put us up in one of those family rooms on the eighth floor as well so it was it was nice and convenient that you know midnight runs to the NICU to go whether I wanted to go check on him go hold him feed him or at least at minimum drop off some milk to you know to help support him it was it was nice that I yeah. could just go over there and drop some off uh, so we're forever indebted to them as well too just them opening up because we didn't know 
we didn't know what their services were about. We always thought it was for families from out of town that were yeah. that were you know financially more needing than us. And so, uh, but anyway, yeah, we're forever grateful for them and still support them to this day. Um, but while there in the NICU, uh, we just met the most amazing nurses that you could ever find. I think, you know, to be a NICU nurse, and I don't, I don't know, but they they have to have extra training, be compassionate. They're the cream of the crop. And, yeah. and if it wasn't for them, you know, even the labor and delivery nurses were great too, but just to take it to that next level, I mean, they were, they were on top of their game. Um, one specific nurse that we really gravitated towards uh, that we still send Christmas cards to just because we're yeah. forever, you know, grateful for her, just her compassion, her, you know, her showing us how to change a diaper, you know, how to feed our child, how to, what are all these machines? What does this mean? You know, taking her time. And I know that we, we weren't her only, you know, Elias wasn't the, our, you know, her only person, her only child that she needed to take care of. Uh, but she knew of our story right away and she accommodated us as much as possible to the point where uh, there was another set of twins coming up to the NICU and she told us, she told us before they came up, hey, um, you know, are you going to be okay with having another set of twins right next to your son? And we said, no, not yet. It's just, it's way too soon. Yeah. And so she's like, I'm more than happy to, you know, move him to another bay. And, but that just meant that we were going to lose her as our nurse. Oh, man. And so we just, we asked her, like, hey, is it possible that you could actually, you know, stay with him? And so they made it, they made it happen somehow, one way or another. And so I thought that was amazing just because she basically kept her basics going, but then moved ours and she would keep moving, you know, kept checking on us uh, every time she was there. So, um, so you guys are in. Your son was in the NICU for, what, 17 days? 17 days, yeah. During that time, I know, you know, I guess, you know, quote-unquote, a normal NICU stay would be. For you, though, I can't imagine that was the same. Um, What's the process? Or, I mean, I don't even know or can't even imagine what you guys go through having to deal with that bereavement I mean what is because you're not just taking care of one you know that's in the NICU there were still other things that you guys had to do right yeah oh yeah so um, so I already had planned an an approval to basically be off for a month uh, from work whenever the boys came home I think and it was gonna you know and I wanted to take that time off and so uh, we had to make some adjustments. And so when uh, Andres didn't make it, uh, I took, you know, a few days of bereavement, basically. Uh, so basically that week, I took that week off. But I had to go back to work that next week just because I still wanted to take that month off and, and bond with Elias. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have my cake and eat it too as much as I wanted. Um, so it was tough, man. So... Meanwhile, Elias is in the NICU. We're up at Ronald McDonald on the eighth floor. So I commuted basically to work. Uh, and we lived at the hospital for 
those 17 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you know, showered there, ate there, everything, and and we had family come visit us at the Ron McDonald room and or at the NICU as well too. But that was our new home for those 17 days. But to answer your question with regards to just the re- bereavement part of it, yeah, I mean we had to make a couple trips to the funeral home and and take Monica away from you know from Elias from the NICU and it was that was tough but it's like we need to share this time you know with both sons and they're apart you know yeah. physically spiritually you know um, but we needed to yeah there were still things that needed to be done and so went to the funeral home a couple times uh, made arrangements and uh, a lot of stuff over email as well too uh, I tried to, you know, after work, I li- I worked nearby the funeral home, so I was able to kind of go there during lunch or after work and kind of handle some things so that when it was time to come home, quote-unquote, to the hospital, that was time that I could spend with Monica and Elias. Yeah. And so uh, we uh, we had, you know, the funeral for Andres, beautiful funeral, uh, as much as... Nobody would ever want to bury their child, no matter how, what, how old they are or how young they are. Um, it was a beautiful ceremony and lots of family and friends there. Uh, you know, also thinking, man, our son's in a NICU. Our son's in a NICU. Yeah. We need to hurry up and go back to the NICU, you know. We don't want to lose him, too. So that's where it's like, couldn't really focus on just one or the other like we're always thinking about both having a baby in the NICU and dealing with all this that you're doing for one I can't even imagine um but do you think are you even allowed to mourn yeah I mean I mean you're still going through the NICU yeah it was it was like go time for for me I would say at least six months that I finally, you know, did did I cry? Did I think about our son? Yeah, absolutely every day. But did I? But I put on. Did I put on my pants and be the rock for my wife every day? I did, man. For like like I said, about six months where we went to Healing Hearts Group, um, you know, through Ronald McDonald. Uh, it's a six week. You know, mm-hmm. bereavement counseling. Yeah, the Healing Hearts program yeah. uh, from the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Yeah, so we, yeah. We, we did that, and we met some amazing, you know, families that had similar stories. Um, you know, and and that helped. But ultimately, you know, it was, something hit me just about six months in that I finally just like broke down, because I think at that point, I think Monica was, she was going back to work, and I think that's where. She was at home for those six months taking care of Elias, and that was her her thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but after six months, she had to go back to work, and that's where our quote-unquote new normal was, you know, where she was back to work, I was back to work, Elias was now going to Grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was like, wait a minute, what about me? You know? I didn't have I didn't have the time to, to grieve properly and I don't, I don't know if there's even a, a proper way to grieve but I just 
I felt like I needed to keep going. I needed to build things. I needed to do things. I needed to keep busy. I needed to, you know, support Monica. I needed to support her family, you know. So it was go, 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 go. And that's how I am 99% of the time anyway. Um, So I think that's where just natural habit of me just being on the go all the time, being busy. I don't want to say it helped, but that's where it just, I naturally fell into just that go mode until one day I just was rocking my son to sleep and that's where I finally just let go and just cried it out, you know? And now with you guys, so, I mean, we see this with families who have twins or multiples or, you know, stuff like that, um, where you have bereavement and you have a baby in the NICU. For a dad already, a NICU dad, you're still, I call it the NICU dad shuffle. And, you know, you're taking care of baby in the NICU. You're taking care of mom. Uh, you're still going to work. You're taking care of other siblings if you have that. For you guys in your situation, um, were you able to to do all that still? Or, I mean, I know, I got to imagine you had that in the back of your mind, like the bereavement part. And, you know, did it take you away from anything else? Or did it make you even do it even more? You know what I mean? Or, I think uh, I had to do the bereavement last, the grieving last, because, yeah, taking care of mom, taking care of Elias, taking care of whatever, um, making sure family members, when they're coming to come visit and I'm telling them no or telling them, okay, yeah. but come to this time or going back to work, you know. So, yeah, I, I, um, I didn't put it first. Mm-hmm. or second or third you know I I had to finally put it you know at the end I remember even like even in the NICU um, you know with the lies holding him and or you know bringing in family and friends over to spend time with them it was like focusing on him you know focusing on making sure even everyone's washing their hands everyone's you know holding the right way watch out for this wire yeah. or you know things like that and so it was like pure focus on on the task at hand and didn't let my mind wander other than thinking about those other dads mm-hmm. you know those other dads are in there too there's mainly mothers but every once in a while where I had some <laughs> quiet time and I could mm-hmm. just you know hold my son rocking him or whatever it's like man what's that guy going through what's his story and I remember um, just thinking should I go up to them and say, hey, you know, we're common denominators. You know, we're we're in this thing together, man. I don't know what your story is, but my name is, you know, and this is this is who I am. I'm not going to cure anything, but I just want to at least say, hey, yeah. and just kind of give you that nod that, man, we're in this together, you know. I never did it. I think uh, a couple of reasons why. I think one of them was this. And I wanted I wanted to focus on my on my own son, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. they wanted to focus on their child too. And I just think that that was kind of faux pas, where it's just more so. Uh, uh, guys don't do that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, the machismo the of machismo, us not talking about our feelings or, or sharing our story. Yeah. You know, one of the things that NICU dads have, well, just NICU parents in general deal with are, are families, uh, family members, friends, um, and keeping them away, kind of, uh, or, or people not understanding what life in the NICU is like for a parent. And when you are even coming home with the baby and how you have to handle things a certain way. With you guys going through the bereavement, was that even more of an issue? Because I'm sure you had family and friends who were trying to console you and be there for you, but at the same time dealing with the NICU issues. Yeah, 10 times over. I mean, that's where we'd come home with Elias. Uh, Yeah, I mean, everybody wanted to come see him right away, and we're like, no, you know, he's still not just hey be careful for the first couple months like he's still a preemie baby like he barely fit in the car seat you know yeah uh he barely passed over five pounds whenever we left mm. and now we were super overprotective with people and and when we did allow people to come over yeah we were, don't care if you washed your hands you're still gonna <laughs> put yeah. some get some dis- hands out yeah, yeah. 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 it was now we were super over overprotective and um for every right, just, I mean, not only because he's our son, but it's like, again, like, hey, we lost one. We're not taking any chances. We're all in on this one, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was, that was always tough just to say no to people because I know that they come from a loving place. They yeah. want to support us. They, how can, what can we do? What can we bring? You know, we just want to see, see y'all, see your, your new son. It's like, I, we appreciate it, but not right now. Yeah. Do you, did you guys have to deal with, and I'm only, I'm putting this in, in perspective is if you were a family member of mine or a friend where people maybe avoided y'all too, not knowing what to tell you or, you know, or did you have people that would just say the wrong thing to you? And I mean, cause during that time or, you know, even after, I think, you know, a lot of people would just say, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and um, I can't imagine, you know, what you're going through, and a lot more we're saying, what can we do to help? It's mm-hmm. like, nothing, I mean, yeah. you bring our son back? You know, yeah. No, there's nothing that, as much as I know, coming from a loving place, they want to give you the world, but nothing that anybody can do is going to bring our son back, and that's the only thing we wanted, you know? Yeah. Hugs are great cards are great food is great delicious it's not gonna you know yeah it's not gonna fill that hole yeah so I know NICU stays and everything put a strain on relationships and marriages can't imagine how that goes for you guys how does how does that work or what did y'all deal with um, what's that like in this situation? Yeah, um, when we were at the NICU, it was pure survival mode. You know, um, we had, uh, it was actually pretty neat that our, uh, the company that I worked for, the team that I was on, uh, my employees actually pulled together and and made some meals for us. And, and mm-hmm. when I went back to work, they gave them to me to take them back to where we were staying in one of the family rooms. And so, that was great you know one less thing that we needed to worry about or 
when my parents came or friends came, they would bring food. And so that was great, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just survival mode, man. It was me waking up early, checking on baby boy, shower change, go to work, take care of whatever else we need to take care of, you know, and then come back. And whether we're leaving Monica, checking in, see how she's doing, you know, but she would basically be in the NICU the whole day, you know, holding him. And I think honestly, like that helped immensely just having that, that warmth, that love, that, you know, familiarity uh, with our son and vice versa. I think that definitely helped. Maybe it helped reduce his amount of stay. Maybe not. I don't know. But I, I like to think that it, you know, we had that opportunity and, um, you know, and so, yeah, I, there wasn't any um, strain on our relationship with regards to any of that just because it was, like, an understanding, like, she knew I had to go back to work because I needed to save that that time so that when Elias came home, you know, there were no more NICU nurses there uh, to help out. And so there was just that, that common understanding. So I, I thank her for that and, and just our communication given our circumstances it was fine what um what do you what do you recommend or advise uh other NICU dads in in your situ in your situation what what would be the biggest pieces of advice that you would uh recommend to somebody in that's going through that right now yeah I think a few things um I'll explain each of them separately but being present, um, you know, ask questions, and then lastly, be a, a open yourself up, or you know, lend a helping hand, or go reach out to those other fathers that you see. Um, being present, just in our situation, was I there physically? Yes. Were there times where I focused solely on Elias? Yes. But were there other times where I was grieving or thinking about funeral arrangements, thinking about work at times? Yeah. I mean, your mind at times, they, you know, they wonders, but try to commit yourself to being there present 100% of the time. Um, and then just, you know, asking questions. Us being new, we took whatever the NICU nurses said for gospel, basically, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and again, they're angels, basically, they're, uh, cream of the crop, and so, uh, but still, like, why are you doing this, or what does this wire mean, or what is this on the reading, Mm -hmm. you know, just inform yourself, and just make sure that, I mean, it's your child, you know, that they're taken care of, you have every right to, you know, ask questions, and, and do that, and that, I think, helps, you know, buy into that process, you know, uh, and then lastly, just the thing that I did not do that I highly recommend is is reach out, reach out to others. I, I remember, uh, you know, whether it's hand to hold or there's somebody else with a vest on just sitting there. And I was like, I wanted to go up there and go talk to them and see what services they're providing. Like, what are they doing here? How can they help me? If not me, maybe my wife can yeah. they go talk to my wife a little bit or or some of those other dads just kind of, you know, maybe you bump into each other when you're signing in. I don't know. Just we're all in this together, yeah. you know. All of our children are in this NICU, and let's make the best of it and 
trying to help each other out. Maybe you might become lifelong friends, you know? You yeah. never know. Did you have to deal with any anxiety, um, PTSD? I mean, those are all things that are common for NICU dads. Um, but even having the NICU stay and then the bereavement on there, uh, did you deal with that while you were in the NICU or even now? I mean, do you see any any stuff or any signs of that? Uh, I think, like, while in the NICU, it was making sure that everybody that touched or held Elias was, again, flu season, making sure mm-hmm. their hands were clean. And, you know, if you're sick, no, don't come back later type of thing. And, and so, yeah, that was my anxiety there. Um, with regards to PTSD, yeah, I think, you know, little triggers here and there that even still today uh, where we'll see Elias a shadow, you know, or we'll see him in the mirror and think, like, that should be his his twin, you know, his brother. Yeah. Uh, now he's at the age where he's, you know, almost three and a half, and we've talked about his brother and his brother, and, you know, his brother this, his brother in heaven, and, and he'll say it randomly. The other day, uh, I just learned the story this morning from my parents. Uh, the neighbor across the street was asking if um, the the kids that that my parents were taking care of were they my my brother's kids, uh, and they told him no that his kids are grown now. These are Eric's kids. Uh, you know, one's three and a half. The other one's you know now six months. And so Elias actually said, and my brother too. Hmm. And I said, man, that's just, he knows. Yeah. He knows. There's just little triggers. There's and, and some are good and some are not good. You know, some are good where we'll see a red cardinal, you know, or a red robin or whatever. And it's just a little reminder. Or we'll see a little ray of sunshine. Yesterday I was cutting the grass and I look up in the sky. And it's like a beautiful day. And, you know, rays of sunshine just peeking out. It's like, is that? Is yeah. that Andres saying hi? You know? I don't know. But then also it's like, we'll go to a park or something and I see a double stroller. Whether it's twins or not, I immediately go there with my mind. It's like, yeah. I should have a double stroller. Yeah. I should be having two kids playing. You know, I should. Am I, am I ungrateful? No, absolutely. I'm absolutely grateful to have Elias. You know, because I'm sure that on the flip side, I'm sure there there are multiple pregnancies, pregnancies of multiples where none of them survive. Yeah. And I, yeah, they they're probably saying you should be grateful that you have at least one. Yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. But I'm like a teeter totter, you know, going back and forth. It's like totally grateful, but I'm also on the flip side having a tough time, you know, grieving or just remember, you know, thinking about my son. And three years later, it's still, it sounds like it's still the same today yeah. as it was the day after. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's still there, and it's never going to go away. There's, you know, somebody once said, you know, that, that happened X amount of years ago or X amount of, like, yeah, like, get over it. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't understand. You know, there's not a get over it. There's no cure. There's no, you know go to this you know counseling session or whatever it's like it helps for a little bit but it's still there it's yeah. never gonna go away you know some people call it a new club that you don't want to be a part of I mean you are yeah 
I think same thing with the Nikki Nikki families too, where it's like, I um, kind of fast forward and, and then I'll go back. Like, we just recently had our daughter, a rainbow baby. She's six months now. Yeah, congratulations! Thank by you. The way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, perfect pregnancy. Planned the C-section. Got there early. Everything went to plan. She didn't go to the no NICU stay. Totally different experience, right? Uh, but it's like the level, not that the level of care changed, but there, but there was though. There was that NICU stay where it's like, man, it was high alert, you know, code orange yeah. or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Like that wasn't there with my daughter, you know. Um, and so, being part of that NICU club too, you have that. Um, what do you call it you have those experiences back then to help you now like with my yeah. daughter you know making sure that you know I keep going to hands are, making sure your hands are clean but just <laughs> you know the the level of care yeah or even we then, saw. yeah we we always say that when we come out of a NICU stay um you know you're <laughs> almost have a PhD because you know what everything means and sometimes we even feel stronger about how we take care of our kids because of everything that we learn from the nurses and the staff and and the doctors in the NICU whereas a normal pregnancy they take their baby home after three days and Done. don't have a clue yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah definitely I mean just the doctors rounding on the regular like yeah. nine in the morning or whatever time it was like it was consistent man and it was not only just you know it was several of them there versus a, a quote unquote normal pregnancy it's like and eh, whenever they show up and kind of yeah three days four days and you're out yeah. so yeah it's like whoa the the numbers on divorce um after an event like y'all's um are pretty high are there things that you guys did um that helped or that you recommend on something like that? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we both grieve differently mm-hmm. at different times, different places, different triggers, different things. I may not say, you know, things that bother me because, again, I want to be that rock. I want to mm-hmm. be that, you know, support uh, for my wife. But, yeah, I think you you have to talk about it. And if not talking at least like be there you don't even have to say anything and just hold your wife. Yeah. Hold hold your significant other, you know, just because they know too that you're the only other person that was there, you know, that experienced the same thing versus a friend, a family member, like you're their only other person, you know? Um, and so there were times where I remember, you know, holding on to Monica, just hugging her, have her lean on me, and let her cry and cry and cry and until she was done. Like, I yeah. I didn't ask her, like, are you done now? Like, no, you don't. You let them do their thing, you know? Yeah. And the same vice versa. Like, there were times where we would talk about it and then I would break down and, yeah, she would hug me too. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend 
and you have to talk about things. I think that's the problem with guys these days where, and not not even these days, back in the old days, yeah. the macho where you don't talk about things, you know, you got to man up or, you know, walk it off. No, man, you you have to talk about things. Yeah. Do um, you guys, did y'all do any support groups or anything like that or couples counseling or, I mean, or bereavement counseling? Yeah, you name it. I mean, we, uh, we, we definitely did uh, Ronald McDonald after looking them up while in the NICUs, like, you know, what else do they offer or how did they find us and, you know, what are they about? And it's not just older kids. It's, you know, NICU and it's yeah. bereavement yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, like we immediately I reached out to at the time was a uh, Worth Gilcrease. He uh, he was our he was the counselor that uh, contracted with Ronald McDonald and did the uh, Hope Group uh, mm-hmm. Healing Hearts program. And so, yeah, that was like a six week session once a one day a week or one night a week for a few hours and to me that was something that I really wanted to go yeah. I, I wanted to go I wanted to talk about it I wanted to learn what are some steps what can we do you know uh, I had that need my wife didn't want to go because we just came home oh, okay she didn't want to leave a lot so they started pretty center. soon they yeah it was just kind of timing where yeah. it's like they started and it's like man I want to jump on this let's do it yeah it was free like let's just if we don't like it I mean we're not losing out on anything and so Monica had a hard time I remember like backing out of our driveway the first time the second time she was like no turn back around I, I don't want to go I don't want to leave Elias and it's not about uh-huh. the person taking care of her because taking care of him and we trust her she's Elias's godmother like we we trust her with every, you know, our whole, our lives, and anyway, um, with his life. But it's just being away, being yeah. away for yeah. that moment. That was tough, but uh, yeah. So we did that counseling for six weeks. We did some private uh, two-on-one counseling uh, with another uh, counselor up in Round Rock. Uh, we also further later on down the road even did some couples counseling, just because yeah, it does put a strain with just new child, not just a new child but losing a child yeah you know we, there were days where we didn't you know we would argue about stuff but the underlying thing was it's like man we missed our son and it just got enough to the point where we were arguing about random things you know that had nothing to do with our son but it was that underlying issue of yeah you know missing him the pain yeah you both had the pain yeah so yeah, we, we went to all three of those. And so, did it help? Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about things, and we're not perfect by any means. Do we still argue every once in a while? I think any couple does. Uh, but you have to work through them. You have to talk about things. Whatever it is, it has to be, it has to be talked about. Well, I think that's some great advice, man. And I, uh, I think your story is extraordinary and you know the things you guys have been through um but we both know that uh there's a lot of other dads going out there through the same thing and you know i hope somebody listens to this and you know take some of your advice um or you know just hears this and sees that they're not you're not alone man and you know just nick your dads in general um you know, just reiterating some of the stuff that Eric said is sharing your story and, and talking to somebody 
um, is huge and you know will definitely be something that'll help help you get through uh, through these things that we go through but Eric man thanks for coming in today thanks for sharing um, you got me yeah I, I, I cried if you couldn't hear in here uh, there, was, there was some tears going on in here but um, I thank you for everything that you do and and uh, for sharing your story with us but um, I should do it man Happy, happy to be here happy to share <laughs> thank you for listening and thank you for your support once again please take a look at the NICUdad.com we continue to grow the list of resources we are bringing NICU dads to my fellow NICU dads good luck and remember you are not alone <laughs>